0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to look at three things this morning, and really we're looking at three stories. We're going to cover Isaac all the way through Joseph. Can we do that? All right, yeah, you, you, didn't, you didn't answer very well on that. Um, <laughs> But we're gonna do this, okay? I, I want you to think about something because it's always amazing to me when you begin to get into the word and you begin to look at what God has done historically. You begin to realize that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, amen? We are part of a picture, we're part of a story of a journey that's remarkable. We know the end because the Lord has already written it. We know that he already has victory because of the cross. We get to walk in that victory. But all that God has done in order for us to even be here today, to enjoy his presence, to know that we're saved, not by works, but by grace through faith, to know that we're secure in our future, not because of works, but because of what God has said, that when we believe in him, we will be saved. That's amazing. Folks, that's worth our lives that's worth every bit of energy that we've got pouring into whatever it is that God calls us to, knowing that he'll strengthen us, he'll go before us, he'll give us wisdom. We're part of a journey. We're part of a a picture that God has been working on all through human history. So let's look at this this morning because there's several things that we're going to look at in each of these stories Reminders to us, I believe, today, God is constantly at work to accomplish His word. Isn't that priceless to know? He's constantly at work to accomplish His word. It doesn't, when He says He's gonna do something, He's constantly working towards it. And who can stand in His way? Who can stand in His way? So, three things this morning. First of all, Isaac and Rebecca. Now, for all of those of you who love love stories, this is for you. Because <laughs> it's one of the sweetest love stories in the Bible, it really is. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness in providing a wife for Isaac. God provides, it's out of his character, it's what he does. He loves to provide. We're going to see that in the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob, their son, the deceiver. <laughs> this guy's a piece of work, indeed. I love Jacob. He turns to Israel. He becomes Israel. He's really the father of the sons of the tribes of Israel. But we get to see how God, in the midst of God's work, is faithful to protect Jacob. All through Jacob's life, we see God's protecting him, guarding him, protecting him in the midst of his life. Joseph. What an interesting guy this is. The dreamer. Right? All the dreams that he had, interpreting dreams. Yet a man who followed the Lord, who was faithful, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And we get to see how God used Joseph, even though he allowed him to go through difficult circumstances. We get to see God's faithfulness in preserving Israel, in Jacob, his father, through Joseph, because of the famine. So first of all, his provision of a wife for Isaac, his faithfulness to provide. In Genesis 23, we're told that Sarah dies. That's Isaac's mom. Isaac was the son of promise. Uh, Ishmael was the son of Hagar, the son of the bond slave. We looked at that last week. It's an allegory that Paul speaks of in Galatians, the letter to the Galatian believers. In Genesis 23, we find that Sarah Dies. And Isaac is grieved, obviously, as a son. In Genesis chapter 24, we begin the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham wants a wife for his son, but he doesn't want a wife from amongst the Canaanites. He wants a wife from amongst his own family. And so he needs to send his servant back to the land that he had left in order to find a wife. And he makes his servant swear that he will go to this place in order to find a wife for Isaac. And he tells his servant, God's going to go before you. Trust him in this. And in Genesis chapter 24, verses 12 and following, the servant, whose name we never know, It could have been Eleazar, if you have been reading through. In Genesis 15, I believe it is, Eleazar is brought up because Abraham says to the Lord, I I don't have a son. You've promised me descendants. You've promised me a great nation, but I don't even have a son. Eleazar is going to be my heir if you don't give me a son. This could have been Eleazar, but we're never told that. My thought is that it's not because we know who Eleazar is. We don't know who this guy is. But he's faithful. He's a man of God. He goes on this trip, he gets to where he's going, and in verses 12 through 15 of Genesis 24, he cries out to the Lord, because he doesn't know what to do. (laughs) And he says, Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show loving kindness, to my master Abraham. He says, Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now, catch this in verse 15. Before he had finished, speaking. Wow. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord answered prayer like that all the time? Wouldn't it? Come on. Lord, I need a million dollars. Ah, there it is. (laughs) That'd be great, wouldn't it? God's rarely early, but he's never late. He's never late. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. And she does exactly what this servant had prayed that she would do. And so the servant begins to watch and observe her. And she begins to get water for the camels. And she begins to do all the things that he had just prayed. And said, Lord, let this happen. Very specific, very detailed. And he realizes that God has answered his prayer. And what's his response? Verse 26 of... Genesis 24, it says, the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? He's on a trip. He doesn't know what he's going to find, how he's going to find this girl. He wants to make sure she's the right one. I mean, the whole Abrahamic covenant, the passing on of the line of Abraham through Isaac is going to be based on this girl. And he cries out, God, (laughs) what do you want me to do? Here's what I'm thinking. And before he's even finished asking the Lord, the Lord accomplishes. His only response is the right response. And it's to worship the Lord. God is clearly ahead of him. God clearly has a plan. God clearly knows what he wants to do. God is able to provide what we need Before we even ask him. Even while we're asking him. Because he knows what he wants to accomplish. Rebecca chooses to go. Which is a beautiful picture of faith in and of itself. She's never met Isaac. In Genesis 24 verses 58 and following. They called Rebecca and said to her. Will you go with this man? And she said I will go. So they sent away their sister Rebecca. And her nurse with Abraham's servant. And his men. And in verses 62 through 67, here's the moment. Right? For all of you lovebirds. (laughs) Now, Isaac had come from going to Bear Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, camels were coming. That's not the moment. (laughs) Rebecca. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. Oh man, the music's going, right? The heavenly scene, this is great. The angels are harping it. It's great. (laughs) I'm a sucker for stories like this. I gotta be honest, I really am. Steph and I, we, we enjoy some good movies on that stuff. So I'm just making fun, but it's really a beautiful picture here. Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and she said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He's my master. She took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah. She became his wife. And he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Folks, what is it that you're in need of? God provides. God provides. Sometimes it seems like the Lord's not doing anything. Have you ever gone through that? You're going through a circumstance, you're going through a situation, and you're kind of like, Lord, what? What's going on? What's happening? Where are you in the midst of this? You realize that sometimes the moments in life where it seems like the Lord is, is working the least are actually the moments where the Lord is working the most. And the question is, do we trust him? Are we willing to walk with him? Are we willing to say yes to him? Are we willing to believe that he has our best in mind no matter what? That he will provide because that's his nature. That's his character. In Genesis 25, we See that Abraham dies. And in verses seven through eight, it says this these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Boy, what a life! What a man of faith. He grew in faith. He was justified, not by works, but by faith. This was 400 years before the Mosaic Law even came into existence. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he continued to grow in faith throughout his entire life. Well, not only does the Lord provide, and we see that in Isaac and the story of Rebekah, but he also protects And we see that in the story of Jacob. In Genesis 25 verses 21 and following, we find that Rebekah is barren and Isaac prays for her. She conceives and she has two children within her. It says in verse 22, the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord says to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Wow. In verses 25 through 26, we see that Esau is born first. They're twins, Esau and Jacob, but Esau is born first. He's the firstborn. He has the rights of the firstborn. We find out that he is red, and he's got a lot of hair. I don't know quite what that looks like, and one day maybe we'll get to find out, right? Jacob's born, and he's evidently smooth. The word Jacob means supplanter, and the reason he's named that is because as he's being born he's grabbing on to Esau's heel. A supplanter, one who takes by the heel. A deceiver. Interesting. I don't know that I'd want to be named that. I think Jacob's pretty happy that he was renamed Israel. In verses 27 and 28, we find out that Esau is Isaac's favorite. He's a hunter, he's somebody who loves to be outdoors. Whereas Jacob is a peaceful man, that's the words that are used, and he's living in the tents. He was favored by Rebekah. In chapter 25, verses 27 through 34, we're told that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. He'd been hunting, he returns home famished. Jacob had cooked stew, and in return for the food, Jacob makes a deal with Esau. And Esau, it says, despised his birthright. Despised his birthright, and he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. In verse 34, it says, Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. In Genesis chapter 26, we see that the covenant agreement that the Lord had made to Abraham is reaffirmed to Isaac. There's a famine in the land. And so Isaac goes down to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appears to him and says, don't go to Egypt. Don't keep on going. You stay right here. You stand in the, stay in the land of which I shall tell you. And he says this to Isaac, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. And he reaffirms the covenant agreement to Isaac. He says to you, I'm going to you give your uh, descendants, I'm going to give all these lands. I'll establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I'll multiply your descendants as a star, stars of the heaven. And I'll give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So he reaffirms all that he had said to Abraham. And he reaffirms this with Isaac. And he says, stay in this land. This is what I'm going to do for you. And verse 6 is important. So Isaac lived in Gerar. He didn't go on. He obeys. He listens to what the Lord has to say. And in verses 12 through 13, we see this. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. So he listens to what the Lord has to say. stays in the land, and God begins to provide for him. God begins to bless him. He becomes very wealthy. In chapter 27, we begin to focus in on the whole picture, the whole story of Jacob deceiving Isaac. We get this story of Rebekah quickly running to Jacob and he puts on uh, uh, sheep hair on his arms in order to fool his father Isaac because Isaac can't see very clearly and, and Isaac comes in and, and begins to touch Jacob. He thinks, you know, is, is this really Esau? It's supposed to be Esau, but it, it feels like Esau. It smells like Esau, so it must be Esau, but it's not, it's Jacob. And Jacob, the deceiver, takes away the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau, and he receives the blessing of the firstborn. And right after it happens, Esau comes in. And Esau, furious, wants to kill Jacob because he has stolen this blessing that should have been his so Rebecca quickly says, "Okay, Isaac. You, excuse me, uh, Jacob. You got to run. You got to flee." And sends Jacob back to her family, to her brother Laban, to where Rebecca had come from when the servant came in order to find her a wife for Isaac. And Jacob goes back to the family. On the way, he has a vision. You can imagine he's scared. He's fearful. He's alone. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He has listened to his mom. He, he sold uh, a bowl of stew in order to get the, the, the birthright from Esau. He's now deceived his father. Esau's out to kill him. He's received this blessing. And he's going back to his family's land not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing where he's going to meet them, how to get in touch with them, what's going to happen in his life. And the Lord meets with him in a special way. On the way, he has a vision of the angels ascending and descending on a ladder into heaven. He falls asleep, he uses a rock for a pillow, and he has this magnificent dream of heaven and the angels coming up and down. And Jacob... In chapter 28, verses 10 through 14, is affirmed the Abrahamic covenant. He's told that the land and the descendants and the blessings of all the nations are going to be his. Then he needs to obey the Lord, he needs to listen to what the Lord has to say. If you'll follow me, these things will take place. So he gets up into the land, his homeland, and he sees Rachel. Another moment of eye contact here. <laughs> And he falls in love deeply with Rachel. He finds out that this is really, and in those days, this was all good, but his cousin, right? Laban's his uncle. And he finds out this is his family. And so he strikes a bargain. He wants to work for seven years in order to marry Rachel. And Laban agrees to this, but now the deceiver gets deceived. Because after the seven years, it's not Rachel, it's Leah that he marries. And he's like, what? And so then they agree that there's another seven years that he'll work in order to pay off what he owes, supposedly. And Laban deceives him. In the midst of this 14 years, he becomes tremendously wealthy to the point that Laban wants to get rid of him. His family is angry with Jacob. God has blessed him in tremendous ways. He has huge herds. He's become very wealthy. All the deals that Laban had made, all the payments that he had promised in order to make to Jacob ends up working out in Jacob's behalf, even though Laban had orchestrated it. If we had a contract today, it would have been a mile long, and it would have been hard to read. You didn't need a microscope to read it. And Jacob goes ahead and signs it. But God protects him, and God gives to him. God allows him to become very wealthy. He begins to have children. I think we've got a, a picture of all the different kids in the family line of what's going on. Leah and Rachel are his wives. Bilhah and Zilpha are the concubines in effect. And you've got all the different sons that are being born to Jacob. They end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. God blesses him. And at the end of this period of time in Genesis 31... Verses 11 and following, says, The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. So the Lord tells him to go back to Canaan. God's divine protection is given to Jacob and his family. Laban chases him down, finally releases him. Jacob continues on. And in chapter 32, verse 1, don't miss this. Not only had the Lord revealed his angels and himself to Jacob on the way, but now he is showing him that there's an encampment of angels around him on the way back. As Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Wow. Can you imagine? God gives him this vision. I'm with you. You do what I'm telling you to do. You go to the land that I tell you to go to. You do what I say to do, and I'm going to bless you. Angels are with him. Psalm chapter 34, verse 7 says this The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. What a beautiful picture of God's protection. Alan Ross in the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this When God's work is involved, the conflict is spiritual, not physical. This was true for Jacob, it was true for Israel, it's true today. No human effort can be sufficient for these things. Amen. The source of defense and the means of victory come from God's ministering angels. We know that from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Angels are ministering spirits given to those who will inherit salvation. Jacob is terrified on his way back because he knows he's going to have to meet who? Esau. And God gives him a vision of the protection that he's going to provide for him. Jacob finds out that Esau's coming. There's 400 men that are coming with Esau. And Jacob's fearful, not only for his family, but all his servants, obviously for his own life. And the night before he meets Esau, in chapter 32, verses 24 and following, Jacob begins to wrestle with a man. You know who that man is. I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ himself. This is the angel of the Lord. We know that Jacob worshiped this man. This man received that worship. He cannot overcome the man. And he realizes in verse 30 that he's been face to face with God. And Jacob at that moment has his name changed by the Lord to Israel. Israel. Israel means one who has favor, one who strives with God. Interesting. In Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 through 4, it says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, this is speaking of Jacob, and in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. See, the reason Jacob was wrestling with the angel is that he wanted to be blessed. So he wrestles with them all night. He can't overcome them, but he won't let go of them until the angel of the Lord blesses him. And the Lord, just to let Jacob know that he could have overcome him at any moment, touches his hip. And from that day on, Jacob walks with a limp (laughs) as a reminder of what God had done in his life. God is with him. God is giving him his divine protection. He puts his angels around him. He himself goes to meet with him, and he blesses him, and he renames him Israel. He touches his hip as a mark to show who he had been wrestling with, who it is that has blessed him. Esau comes to meet Jacob, 400 of his men with him, and it works out. They meet. They weep together. There's forgiveness, they divide, in chapter 34, Dina, the daughter of Jacob, is raped and avenged by her brothers. And so they have to move a little bit around because of the people in the land being angry with them. In chapter 35, Jacob and the family moved to Bethel where the Lord has appeared to him in a vision where he was fleeing. So he goes back to this place where he's had these tremendous visions of the angels and of God. And in Genesis 35, 9 through 12, it says this. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, you shall no longer be called Jacob. He affirms this to him. But Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abram and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after God is protecting him. We see not only his provision with uh, Rebekah and Isaac, we see his protection with Jacob. Later, Rachel dies. It's a very sad moment. She's giving birth to Benjamin, the 12th son, and she dies. Jacob's heartbroken. Esau, just as a side note, you can see it in the Old Testament, is called Edom or the Edomites. Edomites. They're descendants of Esau. There's many others. Chapter 36, we're given quite a family tree of the many descendants of Esau. In the midst of Jacob's life and his story, and boy, have we run through it quick, we see God's protection. Do you realize God protects us? God is watching over us. Not only does he provide, but he protects. How many times, how many stories do we have of how the Lord, we know, intervened in certain ways. We're not sure exactly how it worked out. We're not sure exactly how he did it. But we know that God intervened in order to protect. We can trust him. We're his children. He protects. Well, we launch into Joseph. And we see in Joseph a story of God preserving Israel and his family, Jacob and his family fascinating. He says this, God sent me before you. Joseph is is giving a synopsis of why he had gone through all that he had gone through. He he had been uh, placed into a pit. He was going to be killed by his brothers. They sold him into slavery to the Midianites who were going down to Egypt. He then gets resold to Potiphar where he serves. He gets falsely accused. He gets thrown into jail. He interprets two dreams for those who were in prison. And then he's forgotten for two years until finally Pharaoh has a dream and he Says, well, who can tell this dream to me and what it means? And the cupbearer finally remembers, oh, yeah, there's this guy that was in prison. And he told me about my dream. Maybe he can help you. So they clean him up and they bring him before Pharaoh, and the Lord gives Joseph wisdom. And he's able to share with Pharaoh the meaning of his dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of horrible famine. And he puts a plan forth and he says, you make sure that during those seven years, you store up enough to make sure that the Egyptians have what they need during the seven years of famine. Summing that up, Joseph says this, God sent me before, he's talking to his brothers, to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Think about that. In Genesis 37, verses 3 through 4, it says, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic, multicolored tunic, a a robe. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And Joseph starts having dreams. He he has dreams of, of sheaves of wheat bowing down to him as a sheaf of wheat. The brothers didn't like that too much. And then he has a dream that the sun and moon and the 11 stars are bowing down to Joseph. (laughs) And even Jacob kind of goes, what? I'm going to bow down to you, Joseph? Are you kidding me? But God was giving him a picture of what was going to happen. The brothers obviously hated him. Like I said, they plotted to kill him. He goes to check on them at his father's request, and they put him into a pit. Reuben ends up saving him, and then they sell him to the Midianites who are going down to Egypt. He gets sold to Potiphar, and he becomes the overseer of his household. He gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to rape her, and it gets Joseph thrown into jail. And during jail, he interprets the two dreams, right? One was the cupbearer, one was the bread maker. Two years later, as I said, Pharaoh has a dream, and it so disturbs him that he needs it translated. Joseph's put in charge of Egypt. He puts his plan into action, and God uses Joseph to provide food for the world. Amazing. Amazing. His brothers are sent down to get food because they're starving. And Jacob said, what are you looking at? Go down to Egypt. Here they got food. Go get some. (laughs) So they come down. They come before Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. And he puts them through a series of tests because he wants to find out, have they changed? Have they changed? And he knows that they've changed because when they're willing to give their life for the youngest, Benjamin, he realizes that they're different. And he begins to weep so loudly that even the the staff in Pharaoh's household hears Joseph weeping. The brothers are scared to death. Joseph goes to them. He comforts them. He ends up feeding them. He ends up having the entire family brought down. Jacob comes before Pharaoh. They end up going into the land of Goshen because they're herders. And it's there that God begins to form the nation. About 70 of them came down into Egypt. A couple million end up being rescued out. In Genesis 45 verses 4 through 8, what a godly perspective. Joseph says to his brothers, please come closer to me. They came closer and he says, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Did you catch that? What a godly perspective. Joseph understood why the Lord had allowed this. Why had he gone through all these things? Why had he been falsely accused? Why had he been sold into slavery? Why had he he been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and ends up spending time in jail? When it wasn't even his fault. He had been faithful to the Lord all through those things. But he says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here for God has sent me before you to preserve life. The famine has been in the land these two years. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Wow. Do we look at our lives and we realize that we're on a journey, that we're in the midst of something that God is orchestrating, that we understand what God is going to do because he's told us. We know that he's completely in charge over human history, not only the past, not only right now, but also the future. And we get to join him in the work that he has for us. God not only Provides, God not only protects but we also understand that in the midst of all of these things God is constantly working on our behalf the question is are we willing to join him in what he has done what he is doing what he wants to do in the midst of all this Jesus the hero of history he is protecting his promises that he made to Abraham, that he reaffirmed to Isaac, that he then made to Jacob, who became Israel. And in the midst of it all, he's protecting the seed, the Messiah that was to come, that was to go to the cross, to shed his blood, because he knew I was coming. He knew my son and my daughter were coming. He knew each and every one of us need a savior see we're a part of that story God did this not just for those who were there who needed to look forward to the coming of the savior and to believe and therefore to be justified he also did this because he knew that he had to come to go to the cross so that those who would come after him could look back and receive the promise to be saved not by works But by grace, through faith, we're a part of that, folks. Are we yielded to the Lord? When we say thanks to the Lord, is it with all of our heart? Is it with the understanding that he does provide for us? Because that's his character, that he's always watching over us. Because that's his character that he will work in the midst of our lives even when it doesn't go the way we think it ought to go because he's got a plan and we can trust him with that plan even when it doesn't look good, even when it hurts and it's difficult, God's got a plan and we can trust him in the midst of it even if we never understand why he allowed certain things, we can trust him in it because he's sovereign and he's good as his children He's always working for our benefit. Do we believe that? Are we walking in that? Are we living in that? By his grace. By his grace. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours.